Bradley Beal, the latest Phoenix Sun to grace the cover of Slam Magazine this week. A lot of interesting thoughts from the Sun's newest star, but one sticks out. He thinks it's going to be hard for this team to mesh on offense. You are Locked On Suns. Is he right? Your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen to close out your week. We're free and available everywhere. Just search Locked On Suns wherever you get podcasts, including YouTube. Hit follow, subscribe, get this show in your feed every single Monday through Friday throughout the offseason and Beyond becoming every day or get locked onto the Phoenix Suns every single day. Shockingly, a lot of news to get to today, so I will keep you locked on. I will do that for you today. We'll have some fun as well to close things out. Aaron Edwards is joining us as he does every week to uh, talk about Bradley Beal, DeAndre Ayton, and James Jones primarily. But we'll do it in a in a little bit of a roundabout fashion. But let's start with the slam cover, Aaron, which. Uh, was cool for Beal to get to do. It was a little funny that they actually did the interview and the photo shoot like a month ago when he got introduced. Uh, I don't know if they just, their schedule, I don't know if they're monthly, so they already had a June issue. They wanted to do it for July. I don't know, but uh, so some of the stuff felt a little outdated. It's talking about campaign in there, and they kept that in, and some of it was funny, but the interesting answer to me that jumped out was about um, if the the difficulty level, let's say, of, of all of this, coming together on both ends of the floor with a super team and thinned out depth and you know minimum contracts and all this different stuff, although maybe you think they are even deeper. Um, but I've been talking a lot about Beal, so before I read the quote, I want to toss it to you. Are you more or less excited about Beal as a player and what he can do here than maybe you were a month ago when he did this interview and when trade happened? Like, Has it aged well for you? Are you, are you the same, different? How, how are you feeling? I mean, I'm interested to see how it goes, but yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know why he think, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know why he think it's going to be difficult because he's been the guy, even after John Wall left and he had rest for a little bit, like it was like never really like another star. I think he's just kind of just been waiting like to get a chance to play with somebody else because it was another ball dominant dude. Book doesn't need the ball. So I think that, that's going to be different playing with stars that don't need the ball necessarily. Russ needed the ball. <laughs> like yeah. every star he's had needed the ball in his hands. So I think that's probably where like, usually when he gave the ball to Russ, it was like, all right, I'm gonna go over here and let you do your thing. If he gave the ball to John Wall, it's like, all right, I'll go do my thing. He's going to have to move without the ball. Now he's going to have to the best player on his team move without the ball. His second best player on the team move without the ball. I think just playing in an actual system and not, here's the ball, I'm going to get out of your way, run, pick, and roll, do your thing. I think that's probably where he's probably going to have to make the biggest change is playing off ball and actually still being useful while also getting other people involved who can play off ball. Like The stars can play off ball here, and he's going to have to get used to that. Speaking of things that uh, have aged or that I have been uh, missed maybe since the trade, I, 
I think at the beginning, I, I might have mentioned the whole Russell Westbrook dynamic and honestly completely forgot that that uh, season ever happened. <laughs> and I have <laughs> even not. Even when I said it, did you hear me? I was like, did it happen? Like, yeah. I, I was really sure when I was saying it. <laughs> it really, uh, it feel, I mean, it was the, it was the COVID year. Although Suns fans probably want to treat that season as if it happened because that obviously is when uh, the team made the finals. But yeah, weird, weird thing, little blip. I thought Russ played really well there, but I think maybe why I haven't like blocked it out as a separate portion for him or some sort of unique thing is because really it was a, a continuation of what he did the previous year. It just happened to be that Russell Westbrook was there. But um, I think you're probably right. Let me read the quote here and we can get into more detail. He said, in terms of our balance, we've talked subtly about how this thing can work. We know it won't be easy. It'll be a challenge. But the biggest thing is understanding that our one goal at the end of the day is winning. You know, we're all going to have our own individual goals. But I think the beauty about our group is that we're so unselfish. Sometimes we might have to like yell at each other to shoot the ball or yell at each other to be aggressive because we have that mentality of deferring to the next man, which is kind of to your point, Aaron. So uh, he said, I, so I think it's going to be very fun. It won't be easy. It'll be a work in progress. I think, you know, it's very hard to win in our league. I think a lot of people kind of think they see a team, oh, they're just going to win, but we still have to figure it out. We still have to be blessed and be healthy throughout the year to make it work, but we'll be a challenge. I think we have a great group that's ready to fill their roles and accept it. So it's not like he's necessarily saying, um, like, obviously he wouldn't have wanted to come here. He's not going to come out and say in a, in a big interview, like, yeah, probably not going to work. But at the same time, I, I was just interested in him taking that approach. I think personally, it's the right approach. I mean, all of us would try to be kind of humble and, you know, look at it from 30,000 foot and, and just try to say like, you know, approach this as a as a challenge and as a process rather than just walking in and being cocky and, and getting your you know what handed to you but do you think it will be difficult like do you think we will be talking about this team December January and you know they're around 500 or a few games over 500 or do you think it will click quickly because that that's part of what I heard and what he's saying is like be patient I think it's going to uh, click quickly I think it um most of it is just going to be the guard situation like who's going to initiate and do they like are they comfortable especially Bill like I know if you tell Book he's the point guard now he's going to be the point guard now and that's kind of my worry at the same time it's like I like Book at the two like if I want Book like going off and scoring a lot of the time because he kind of just knows what he's doing right that and I know he can play point too but I think a lot of what the problems are going to be is like if you if you do tell Book he's a point guard, he's gonna be point guard. But if you can convince them both, like you're the guard, you can run stuff through both of them. And if Bill Val, uh, is like a willing passer and a playmaker, I think that's when the team can really be clicking. And Book doesn't have to always be the initiator because, like I said, he's the best two guard in the league right now. And having him just play point guard hurts your team more than anything. Yeah, that 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 probably is the biggest thing. I would say the other one is just going to be the rotation. Um, I do see that, though, as something where it's like you have a lot of solid answers. You're just trying to find the best one. It's not It's not maybe like what we thought heading into the playoffs last year where it's like cross your fingers, you know. Um, yeah. In this case, it's just sort of who fits the best with the starting group, with the, with the four stars on this team, the four max guys, and then who, you know, what does the bench unit look like? What's the best way to stagger those types of things? I mean, you can you can draw it up and have it on a whiteboard in in the you know offices at the practice facility, but 
there I think will be some times where what we see opening night as the rotation by December 1st might be something completely different, and that's fine. And I think they'll still win anyway, but that might be something where it, Suns fans are pulling their hair out a little bit like, okay, who's the eighth man on this team, and why do I not know who it's going to be every night when I turn the TV on? Which, I mean, that's that's every great team. Even the Nuggets this past year, like they weren't even playing some of their bench guys until the postseason, and then all of a sudden it's a new rotation. Like that, that happens. So I'm, I'm not worried about either one of those things but I do think there might be some growing pains early on and I think that's maybe what Bill was kind of speaking to yeah I think surprisingly this like that's probably the biggest difference between this year and last year's team I'm not really worried about the rotation anymore because we get to either have book Bill or KD on the floor at all times and the, everybody else can sit and that was just not a thing we could do before book playing entire fir- first and then sitting like half a second and then hoping the team can hang on Mm -hmm. with not much scoring on the floor and like all of that i think that part is done now i think when books on the floor i think bill's going to be comfortable with a real point guard or if it's book or if it's bill and eric gordon i think he's going to be comfortable with that too like Mm -hmm. i think we can do a lot more stuff to like hold off other like defenses and cold streaks that we would go on when book were sitting those long stints in like second quarters and stuff so, yeah, for the most part, I'm not really worried about rotations because the scoring is going to be there. We're going to have the attacking and dudes that can get to the line and stuff like that, which was the problem before. Yeah, I mean, just the idea to, to round it out with Beal, since he is the guy who said this and who we're focused on, like, I mean, the idea of those stretches, because I do think Booker's comfortable playing the the whole first, and that probably won't change. I would imagine it'll be something where Beal comes out maybe earliest in the first and then he's the guy on the court in those second quarters maybe with Aiton and maybe Durant kind of plays the most total time in each quarter and then like you said Booker comes in later in the second maybe around the halfway point but the idea of Beal being able to just put up like eight quick points in the beginning of a second quarter when he's playing against like you know the Thunder second unit or something it's just like (laughs) I mean it, it does start to just make you realize how tough this team is going to be to beat, even if, as he suggests, there might be a little bit of figuring out to do. I think, again, they're going to be able to keep winning even while they figure some of that stuff out. But another thing that will be different this year, to your point, Aaron, is the locker room. There's a lot of new faces. Uh, Mikhail Bridges gave us a little bit of insight into what maybe is gone now that he is out of town. And we got a question earlier in the week about this exact topic. So we'll talk about the change of scenery of what the personalities will be and how they will affect one of the Sun stars next. But first, take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your money in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200. You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. I've told you before, I truly do love betting baseball. I've kind of like gotten into it uh, thanks to some people that I know who are into it and some sites that I follow and whatever. I love the first five innings. I love the props. I love uh, the not run lines, but just the straight money line on the first five or the total run over under all that stuff is very good. Very measurable very uh you know it's day to day there's a ton of data on this stuff so it it feels like you're playing a winning game rather than a losing game like you are in some sports 
on FanDuel. It's all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, let's keep it rolling here. So uh, we'll, we'll do this Mikhail Bridges quote off the top, Aaron, and it's not directly related to the Suns, but it got me thinking about his relationship as a leader to this team and just to DeAndre Ayton specifically. That is the star I was referencing in that last segment. Uh, but he was talking in this case about Ben Simmons. He went on Paul George's podcast and basically discussed, uh, gave us more insight into what he really means to a team as as a leader, as a, as a locker room guy. So he said uh, about Ben, he loves the game. I think he's in a good place. He Fs with all of us, like we're close. Uh, I'm going to censor, which ESPN did not. I don't know if you saw that clip going around that ESPN <laughs> played this quote uh, on air and did not censor out all the F-bombs, which is hilarious. Uh, he said he's the one talking in the chat all the time, and we all F with him. And obviously, yeah, we want him to score and stuff, but we're not pressed about it. We just want him to be him and be aggressive. Just be there with him. Uh, even if you struggle or whatever, like that's cool. Whatever city we're in, we're going to hang out, go get dinner, whatever, like get ready for the next one. I think that's the biggest thing. He can be confident enough to fail and know we're there for him. It sounds a whole lot like what he probably approached the eight and stuff with. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think, but I, I mean, that's probably what it was. He's just a really good teammate. But even with Mikhail, I think the other two <laughs> were probably the stronger voices when it came to DA. So I think those probably won out probably a major majority of the time, no matter how nice and how good of a teammate Mikhail was. So I the other two the, meaning they, Monty and Chris? You know who I mean. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think those voices went out when it comes to if you're in a wrong headspace or something. I, mm. So I think, yeah, Mikhail is probably a great teammate and having him around when you're struggling is really nice. But I think if you're struggling and you're young and your coach doesn't like you and your point guard's always on you, I think that's probably going to win. Yeah, it's interesting because if you even think back to uh, just over time, right? Like, like let's trace it. So I think his first season, I'm not really sure if he had much in the way of relationships. I feel like that was probably a pretty hard year for him. Um, he was like very, very... In, I don't want to say insecure, like I know about his approach on the court, but I know that talking to him post game and stuff, like it was a struggle for him. Um, then the next year, obviously he has a suspension that that's not great, but he also, um, you know, he's very close with Kelly Oubre on that team. And I do think Aaron Baines made a pretty big impact on him. Then both those guys are gone. Then he gets, I think year one of the Chris stuff was good. And then over time, not so much. Now, he loses Mikhail, who we know he was close with. I, I think he had some closeness with guys like Campaign and Javon Carter, who were also kind of in that, you know, whatever you want to say, like friend group on the team. And now they're all gone. So that brings us to the question that I got uh, earlier. Shout out to the Sun subreddit for populating an entire week of content for me. Appreciate you guys. Uh, he said They said... Uh, Nels Joe nine said, wonder if you think that all of Aiton's close friends, not being on the team anymore will have an effect on his game. From what I can tell, Aiton and book aren't super close. Maybe Aiton will take more of an all business type of approach into this new season. Uh, what do you think? Just reading that question, hearing that question, Aaron, is that, is that a reasonable guess as to what might play out here? Or are we just guessing? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my best to be nice about Aiton. But in saying that, he is a max player. I don't care mm -hmm. if he has zero 
friends on this team. I really don't care. Like mm -hmm. this is, this is your shot right now. This is mm -hmm. it. Like after, like you said, like people have a view of you, you see all the things that people are saying, <laughs> like you're trying to change the narrative about you. Like, you know what we're all saying. Like if having friends on your team or not is going to affect if you want to uh, chase a rebound or box out or dunk the basketball, like, I don't care about any of that. Like, yeah, this is it. I don't care if you have teams on uh, friends on this team anymore. <laughs> I mean, you know that I agree with you at a, at a top level. I think I've just thought and talked about this dude so much that I allow myself to like maybe get deeper with it than is fair to him. Uh, like I should just end it there and not, not even want to like be deeper on it. But I mean, he's been around for so long and we've seen so many ups and downs that maybe I do just have like a fascination at this point because I, I've allowed myself to emotionally detach from it. So maybe I'm just more, it's more like intellectual now. Like I'm sitting in a, in a library with like a pipe, just like thinking and, and talking with other scholarly gentlemen about DeAndre and I don't know but it, it feels like that a little bit to to get this like psychoanalyzing on him but I will anyway um and I do think <laughs> like it's not so much about the on-court stuff it's about comfort to me and maybe part of the reason this uh this question like jumped out to me from the beginning is that I made a similar point when Frank Vogel got hired and that was even before like Payne got traded or any any of the other stuff that has happened since then but uh I do feel like there is an, like the, the off-court stuff does sort of align with what the on-court will be, right? Which like all of it sort of comes back to like, just do your job. You're in a situation now where you're going to be relied upon less. Going into last season, we were talking about Aiton kind of needing to take a step forward for this team to be good enough. That's not really the case anymore. So it really is just like, go, go do all the stuff you just listed off that he's going to need to do and, and everything will be good. The team will win. You will be hopefully you know at least hated on less which he spoke to in that interview last week and it won't really be a talking point as long as you just do your job and I think that's Frank Vogel's approach too uh is like as a coach from everything that's been out there and and whatnot is just sort of we're gonna have a, a veteran team like I will institute certain things that I want people to execute but I'm not gonna be overly day-to-day -day, like you know taking you into my office and giving you a heart to heart talk, like unless, unless there's a problem. I mean, like you could probably even say that him doing that was maybe why he didn't get along with Russell Westbrook, right? Like maybe Russ needed that and Vogel's just not that type. And maybe that's good for yeah. somebody like Aiden. So I think that that does give me optimism that that comfort level can be there and that it can just translate to not overthinking, not, not always having to like be in his own head so much. Right. Um, and so when we take it to the teammate side, I guess I wonder if that can be helpful too of like just dropping anybody who has a history with him, right? Like, and I think that's part of what it even might've been with Monty and, and Mikhail to a certain point where it's like the little brother syndrome, right? Like, yeah, I'm the guy that always needs to be pumped up and like, I'm the guy who needs my ass slapped when I need to get back into my head in the game, right? Like all these different things, like maybe it's just good to have nobody who feels that way, which brings me to the thing in that question that I want to toss back to you, which is the Aiton and Booker thing, which is another part of this whole part, uh, this whole relationship, this whole dynamic of Aiton on the Suns that I've always been fascinated by. It seems like Book likes him and I've yeah. never gotten that because if I was Devin Booker, 
I think I'd be pretty tired of it at this point. And he doesn't <laughs> seem like he's there. I mean, there's been points where it's like he's kind of snapped at him. Like in the Clippers series, there were a few and whatnot. But like, they seem to be good, which just shocks me, honestly. I think it would it it is shocking, but the way it works, I think that book got kind of like tricked into it. Like they gave him so many terrible lottery picks that they gave him a decent one. Mm-hmm. So book can't really be mad at Aiton because he had awful ones. Like so, he finally has one that actually worked out technically. Mm-hmm. So he's like, all right, yeah, this dude's fine. Like I can deal with this. But the ones before were so bad that book is happy with whatever he gets now. But when it comes to their relationship, I think it's not even just on book. KD made it like mm-hmm. his goal to like make Aiton happy, happy when he first got here. He was getting him his touches. He was going out of his way to give him his touches. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted Aiton to be happy because he knew Aiton was going to le- lose touches soon. Like he knew how that was going to turn. Like, yeah. yes, Chris Paul wasn't shooting open shots and stuff, but KD, he's been around like a long time. So he yeah. knows like, you got to get the bigs the ball to keep him happy. And he went out of his way to like show him that I wasn't just going to take shots that you would normally be getting. He was giving him his touches. So yeah, like I think Kate having vets that know ball and they know that they're going to need eight and later, they're still going to go out of their way to get him touches. It's not like he's just going to go entire games and just be pouty through games. Like they're smart enough to know, even Vogel has said it, like they're going to give him his touches because you got to keep bigs happy. That's just how yeah. basketball works. But KD, he even knows to do it because he did it when he first got here. He's yeah. going to try to get eight in the ball. Yeah, and Kevin Young probably, you know, too, in terms of knowing his boundaries or, or what's going to work. Like, there's always going to be that there, and I honestly don't even think that that's unreasonable. I think that, you know, it's a long, like, especially in the modern NBA, there's this whole, like, line of guys that we laugh at for needing that stuff to be in, engaged. But at a certain point, it's like, if there's enough of them that we all know the names, whether it's Andre Drummond or DeAndre Jordan or Dwight Howard, these guys who maybe weren't talented enough to get that but kind of wanted it anyway, then maybe it's just a fact of life in, in basketball and you just maybe shouldn't <laughs> pin it to those dudes so much as just acknowledge what it is. Uh, you know, you can keep wishing for something to not be the case, but if it's the case, you got to deal with it. So I think all those guys, to your point, will just be able to deal with it and ru- you know run with it in a way that doesn't hurt the team, but... I don't know. I just look up and down the roster and I don't think there's anybody there that'll be like looking out for Aiton or his guy or any of that stuff. And I obviously don't know if that's good or bad, but pair that with a coaching change that feels like kind of the same thing. And I'm at least like willing to consider that there will be that comfort level just with being left alone. You know, maybe that's the best way to put yeah. it. But well, we could talk about Aiton for four straight shows, I think. And uh, I literally just said the other day that I, uh, I was I was letting it be for now. And then I went back on my promise. So uh, I, I, there's your 10 minutes. I'll, we'll do it again in a month. All right. Let's talk about uh, slop of the week. I'm introducing a, a segment from another podcast I do onto this one in order to make the rounds on the news. We'll dive in on Tamani Kamara and James Jones after another quick break. All right, closing out the show, the idea with Slop of the Week is that there is so much NBA news out there at this point in time that some of it can simply be called nothing else but Slop, and I 
I love it. I mean, we all love it if we're basketball fans. The random writer who has a source who says something about your team and it's July and <laughs> it, you just glom onto it. Um, or somebody saying something weird. A great example, non-sons, is this week Joe Missoula proclaimed, announced to the world that Derek White is the starting point guard for the Celtics. I don't know why he's talking about that in late July. I'm not even sure why he was giving an interview in late July. The man should be on vacation. So that is slop. Um, but we have some sun slop, Aaron, that we want that I want to get to, which is via Keith Smith at Spot Track. Does really great work. No, no, uh, no problem with Keith. Uh, uh, he had a Sun staffer reportedly tell him, "Tamani Kamara might be more ready to play than we thought. Once that jumper comes around, we feel like we've got a steal on our hands." Um, I just love the idea of that conversation even happening. It was at Summer League, so I get it. But <laughs> I don't know how much of Summer League you, you watched or how much uh, you care about Tamani Kamara's odds of playing this season, but I still feel like if he is in the rotation at any point this year, it's probably a bad thing more than it is a good thing. I think I like him a lot, by the way. I think that with the jumper uh, confident one and not even just like just confidently shooting it. You can tell like he doesn't really want to shoot it as much, but yeah, just with the skills that he has, the explosiveness and the willingness to get to the rim. And probably like if he really like teaches himself, he can be really good at drawing fouls and getting to the line. His ball handle is really nice. He's Mm -hmm. comfortable doing that for a dude, his size. Like I can see him getting minutes if, he learns like the NBA speed and actually like getting the reps like in NBA, like game time. Mm-hmm. I can see him actually playing. Like I really liked what I saw from him because a lot of those skills that he does have translate to actual like professional basketball and not just summer league. I think just yeah. being able to put the ball on the floor and take advantage of mismatches. Like he can handle the ball to where he's going to annoy small dudes that end up getting switched on. him. Like I really mm-hmm. think he can do that because he really can't dribble yeah. and confidently dribble. Yeah, his feel and, and all that f- was definitely what jumped out to me. To your point, like embracing contact, being able to just have the ball in his hands, all that stuff. Like he felt he looked at home on a on a pro court, even though it is just summer league. Like plenty of guys don't, you know, plenty of guys drafted yeah. way higher than him. You can tell yeah. right away. Like I don't know about you know, like so. <laughs> it you're totally right. Um, I I wouldn't be like shocked if he played. I guess, but. I think to me it would probably be a thing where Kata Bates Diop is either not good enough or hurt, and that might be kind of yeah. the best the best like spot or opportunity where they might look at him because he he's not going to be somebody who plays over shooters, I don't think, and um, like they have better options in terms of that wing defender type of guy, but. Honestly, the thing that jumps out to me the most about this quote is kudos to Keith Smith for getting anybody on the Suns to talk about anything and end up in an article. Like, <laughs> that's an achievement. They don't talk about any of this stuff to anybody that could ever write about it. So hats off to, to Keith. Um, next on our list of slop here. So um, the interview itself was good. And he, he Dwayne Rankin had a Q&A with James Jones, which he does like two, three times a year, uh, which is cool of James Jones to do. Like plenty of Leon Rose hasn't talked in three years. That was out there this week. Uh, so <laughs> yes. James Jones even doing this, you know, appreciate it. And J- and Dwayne does a good job of it. Like the stuff about Aiton was was real and not sloppy. And, and I think I mentioned it on the show earlier. But the part of it that was slop was <laughs> James Jones 
giving himself, as far as I can tell, unprompted, an 8 out of 10 in free agency. And I just love the idea of going about your day-to-day business and just giving yourself like a rating like that about stuff you did. Like you get done with the grocery store and you're like, I probably could have gone a little faster. Like, you know, I didn't need to buy the candy. I didn't need to buy like the soda, but eight out of 10, like good enough. It's just funny. Like, I don't think, I really doubt knowing how Dwayne asked questions that he was like, James, could you please rate yourself out of 10? And James just said that. Like, that's just, it made me laugh if nothing else. I think if anything, like it was more of a shot at us because we do get on James a lot for not making moves and being really close to the vest on like a lot of stuff. So maybe it was mostly a shot at us. Like, shut up. I I give myself I give myself an eight out of ten, even if you guys don't like kind of thing. (laughs) Probably was. He definitely, I I think, is aware of that stuff. Um, Just being a former player, being younger, everything, Uh, having kids like they probably say, Dad, this random blog like wrote this thing about, you know. Um, But so let me ask you this, because he also had this uh, this quote that accompanied it, which was. So when it comes to minimums, I think it's that label or contract value that people look at. But I look at it more from a perspective of identifying the guys who have the attributes and skills that would complement our group, finding players that believe this environment will increase their productivity and give them a boost for their careers going forward. This was more forward-looking than backwards-looking for us and for the players that we targeted. And I did bring this up earlier on the sh- uh, in the week on the show because I talked about the, the phrase he kept throwing out there was mid-prime veterans, which I really liked it. And him, him saying, like, from the jump, they wanted to go with younger guys who are at, like, a specific point in their career uh, was smart. I think they succeeded at doing that. I think it's very James Jones to not want to use the word minimum because he thinks it's uh, alienating or rude. Like, he can't ever just yeah. let a phrase be. No, players aren't assets. They're this and that. They're not <laughs> minimums. They're this and that. But let me just ask you, when you think about it that way or, you know, if you have a different way of looking at it, then was he correct? Would you give him an eight out of 10 or would you go higher or lower than that? Yeah, I actually like what he did, especially now that you said the, uh, what, what did he call it? Mid prime um, veteran. Yeah. Mid prime veteran. Like hearing that you can tell, like Yuta played on a really good team and got minutes and got real playing time. Uh, Bates, um, he played for pop. Like you're going to learn a lot playing for pop and getting the minutes that he got, even on a bad team. Uh, like, um, even um, Eric Gordon, like he's seen real, real stuff, like and played in real big games. Like I think he, if that was his goal, then yeah, he got dudes from established teams that played either under a really good coach or played in decent to big games. Then like real minutes, that makes a lot of sense when you're trying to kind of scrape a team together. Yeah, it just it aligns with you know even his draft philosophy, right? Of like drafting older drafting you know maybe it's still guys who have a development pathway that they're not at their ceiling already which even an older draft guy shouldn't be at their ceiling but there's still going to be people who he knows can compete and he knows aren't just going to be a bust you know like a high floor player and I think he's approached this free agency the same way where he's like I'm not just going to go young for the sake of going young What I'm going to do is guys who have gotten real minutes, played a real role, even if it's on a bad team where I know that they can at least stay on the court. And then from there, can they stay on the court for a good team? Can they develop the types of skills that they're going to need to play around the stars we have? All that stuff. But you're never going to get surefire things when you are signing guys to minimum contracts. So it I think I think he did a great job, um, all things considered. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know if I would. Maybe, yeah, 8 out of 10 feels reasonable. I guess to me, like, where we could close is him saying 8 makes me think he had somebody in mind that he didn't get or some move that he feels like he missed on. And and to what I, where my head went was having to dump campaign. Like, that's probably the thing where he's like, yeah. I was going to say had something in mind and it just didn't pan out and I can't give myself a 10 because we had to trade a second round pick to get off of like a rotation player. Yeah. I think if he would have pulled off either just another guard or something and, or not having to get rid of a cam, I think he would have gave himself a nine or a 10 out of 10, not having the guard thing. That just is so unlike him, even though he's kind of like been opposed to ball handlers a lot of the time anyway yeah. but i think like going this route with like none mm-hmm. i mean we have like our stars are ball handlers but i think this is like the first time where he's gone into a season with just like no point guard and that even as a gm even as a good one i think that's just weird for anybody it is weird uh you know he did play <laughs> on those Cavs and heat teams that were built pretty similar didn't he was you know, yeah. so not to say that anybody on this team is the level of ball handler that LeBron James well, you is. You don't like Booby Gibson? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like or Booby Mario Gibson. Chalmers or like, you know, like uh, at a certain point, all you need somebody who can like dribble and oh, shoot. <laughs> uh, but no. Um, yeah. All right. So that wraps us up. I do want everybody, you know, just to pat myself on the back. The, the real trick of Slop of the Week is it gives us an outlet to actually still talk about basketball. See, I, I, I shoehorned it in there. Um, <laughs> It's a little bit of a trick, but there you go. Uh, that'll wrap us up. We'll be back next week. Also, another trick I've been playing on you guys is that starting next week, we will no longer be daily. We will be three days a week. Um, so if you subscribe solely because I told you it was going to be daily throughout the offseason and beyond in my little spiel at the beginning, you're free to unsubscribe. But I promise you, every show will still be very good. There's just not five days worth of stuff to talk about in August. So bonus episodes when they need to be there and uh, obviously plenty of content still but that'll be the schedule so monday wednesday friday throughout august and then back to it when training camp and everything else starts in september hope everybody has a great weekend and i will talk to you guys next week